Okay, Pete Giuliano. It is Saturday, April 1st, 2017. That makes this solder smoke. What's the number, Pete? 195. 195. Here we are. Yeah. yeah. All right. You know, well, I want we have so much to cover. We got a lot on the agenda, but there is something, and I know you didn't want me to talk about this, but I, I feel I, I want to talk about it. I, I, I rarely complain. You know, I'm the one who doesn't complain. I, I let things pass. But this is something that I find really disturbing, and I think we just have to get it out of the way so we can get on with the show. But we have learned, and it's really even hard for me to say this, we have learned that a decision has been made. I can't, I don't, I can't really say what the source is or how we found out, but somebody who knows told me that, you know, Every year they do the selection for the QRP Hall of Fame. They do it before the four days in May event out there. Well, right. That's you know it's that time. It's it's April, and they have they're doing it again. And they have this year. There's going to be something different. And I I, I think you you've heard about this, but they're gonna they're gonna take somebody out of the QRP Hall of Fame. Yeah. And. No, and I, I don't think it's right. It's going to be you. I don't, you know, wait, no, well, come on, you're laughing about it. No, but it's yeah, a serious, you know, you just, I feel, I punch, feel, no, no, I, I feel responsible for it because I think a lot of this has to do with things that I've said, but just kidding you. I mean, I, I've kidded you about your, your, your obvious affinity for high power. Right. The amp, you've built a few <laughs> amplifiers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the later one of the latest rigs you had on there was, you know, you called it the Big Kahuna. Yeah. Yeah, that's you know that's not very QRP-ish. And also, I mean, I think also I think I've I've kind of encouraged this kind of hostility, because you and I sometimes mention the fact that we're no longer into CW, which puts us in I think bad odor with some of the, the more you know CW-oriented QRPers, but. I just, and you know, recent talk about you were participating in a contest at 700 watts, you know, yeah. all this stuff about QR, QRO, and, and nobody would have known about this if it wasn't for the podcast. You would, it would have been fine. Well, you mentioned a few things about it on your blog, but I, I, I just think it's, this is really unfair. I mean, it, I, I think it's petty, really, and I don't, I don't know why, why they're doing this, but what, what do you think? Well, you know, uh, you live life as it is. You roll with the punches. Uh, that's you, what they want to do. Hey, I'm okay. No, you know? I'm, all right, but I disagree. <laughs> I, I want to. Yeah. I want to push back, and we're not. We're not quite there yet. I mean, this is the kind of thing that can be reversed. It can be reversed before the four days in May event. So here's what I'd like. I want to have a campaign. I think. I think if we were to send a large number of emails to the people responsible for this, this could be turned around. And and here's what we're going to do. Everybody who objects to this move, and I think that should be everybody who's listening, send an email to me. Send it to soldersmoke at yahoo.com and explain why you think Pete Giuliano should not be expelled from the QRP Hall of Fame. Why he has a good, rightful place in that, in that organization, in those hallowed halls, and why it's, it's really outrageous that for the first time, they've never expelled anybody before. You'd be the first. Well, I mean, the way the way the way they explained it to me is they said that that your nomination was mistaken. This is a typical bureaucratic thing. It's not that we're we're reversing the decision. It's just we're saying that the decision we made, what, two years ago, one year ago, one year ago, two, two was mistaken because they were unaware of the fact that you were, you know, so heavily involved in QRO and contesting and that you didn't like CW. 
So now they're saying, no, we didn't make a mistake. We just shouldn't have put him in there in the first place. I mean, now I look. You're, you're, you're. I think you're being far too complacent about this. I know you, but all right. Well, look, you know. <laughs> look. Leave it, leave it to me, and the listeners. Send, please, all the listeners out there. Send me an email with your thoughts on this, and I will pass them to the appropriate person. I know who to send it to. Send it to solder smoke. That's one word. Solder smoke. That's one word at yahoo.com. I'll collect these things and we'll hit them with this. And I, I think that I think we can fight City Hall on this one, Pete. Well, you know, <laughs> that's hey, like listen, listen. I, you know, he's 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 far too humble on this thing. He, I, I wish I'm I'm going to have to take on some of the Italian anger here. There All right. Go. So send there us send us some emails, folks. Let you let us know what you think about this this thing. I, I think it's outrageous. All right, enough. We'll put that behind us. I want to. We have a few things to talk about. First, let's let's go right to bench reports, Pete. I'm going to skip over. We'll do SDR misadventures in a minute. But bench reports. You, I've got a lot of stuff on your bench. You got a lot of stuff you've been working on. Tell us about it. Well, I guess the thing that I should tell first is we had a magic smoke release. <laughs> ah, well, I I had some of my own. But tell us because the, oh, the well, listeners love to hear about this. You released yeah, some well, smoke. Yeah. Well, you know, things happen, and I guess. Um, I knew in advance that I needed to be careful, and I just said, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll make it happen. I'll, I'll make it so it won't happen, and, and the worst happened. What I was doing is um, I built a transceiver here a couple of years ago. Uh, actually, it was a compact version of the Let's Build Something transceiver that was the project in QRP Quarterly. And I shrunk this thing down, had a lot of surface mount, what have you, and I, and I initially had it on 20 meters, then I moved it to 40, and then I thought about it because of the number of different 40-meter rigs I have that I'd uh, move it back to 20. So uh, I had I had to uh, change the bandpass filter. That was easy to do because uh, it's actually two boards stacked on top of each other. So the bandpass filter was easy because I didn't have to – I could access it just with a case cover off. But the low-pass filter was on the lower board. And the way I designed it was uh, the there are four mounting screws, you know, release the four screws, and the top board flips over. Uh, the wiring harness was long enough that you could flip it over and gain access to the uh, the, the bottom board where the low-pass filter was. And uh, I successfully changed that because that was not the first time I changed the low-pass filter. So I said, you know, before I button this thing up, I ought to test it <laughs> just to make sure everything's working. Well, the top board was flipped over, and and what happened was there's a uh, there was a uh, <clears throat> some shielding on the top part uh, that was uh, soldered to the uh, printed circuit board, and when I flipped it over, that shielding was resting right on top of the 12 volt rail <laughs> coming in. So we had an instant short to ground, and in the process took out a lot of wiring. I mean, this thing. It, it was like a small nuclear mushroom cloud, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you, could, you could see it, and it just, you know, you, you couldn't act fast enough to turn anything off or move anything. It just You just watched that cloud just go up into the shack. And uh, then and you, you had... Did, you, you, let me guess here. You didn't have a fuse on this line, did you? No. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who needs fuses? It's power supply, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And by the way, I had it hooked up to a 30 amp supply. So oh, 30 it, amps, yes. 
You got to get a lot of current. Yeah, you anyway. Could, you have your wedding band on. You could take off your finger at that thing. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, I looked in it, and I could see the wiring was fused. As a matter of fact, the wiring was so burnt, the copper wiring was so burnt, it, that it was out of the jacket. In other words, when it, it peeled the jacket right off because it, it, it must have glowed red. So... Um, I said, oh, man. And the first thing I worried is not just the wiring, but did I take some of the components out? And I was pretty lucky. I, I could do a quick test to just see if the receiver worked, the audio amplifier, and, and I felt pretty sure that it was just the wiring that went. So actually, sometimes good things happen. When I looked at the wiring, I had an error. It, it, it all was a result that I had made these on a bunch of boards and I had all the boards wired up individually, so when I put it into the radio, I just took the boards and I trimmed the, the wiring going to the boards. I really didn't need to do that. I actually simplified the wiring <laughs> as a result of smoking it. So I put it back together, and uh, all's working. This proves that you know, every dark smoke cloud has a silver lining. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it really does. It really does. But anyway... You know, I, when I looked at it, I said, oh, yeah, that, that, that won't be a problem. I won't short anything out, you know, f famous last words. And then I saw that mushroom cloud, you know. So, you gotta be, yeah, you got to be really careful what you're doing. So well, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here, and I'm going to say that I released some smoke this, this week, too, on, uh, on at least two uh, SI-5351 uh, breakout boards. <coughs> Ooh. They're, e they're easy to kill. They don't they don't like it when you short the output pins. Oh. And then there's a, I I'm not quite sure exactly what blows in there when they do go, but I think it's one of the little voltage regulators there that they have along there. Yeah, there's a couple onboard regulators. Yeah. When you, when you put your finger on the board after it's blown out, it's quite hot. Yeah, that's and, the Doug Moss smoke test. <laughs> that's the, the follow-up to the smoke test. First, yeah. get the smoke test. Yeah. Then you get can I burn my finger on this test? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then that's called the blister test. The blister test. Yeah, and so that's that's, that's what happened. Yeah, so I released the smoke on these two SI fifty three fifty ones. They're very very sensitive, and uh, good thing you could get them pretty quick. I'll, I'll I'll talk about that in a minute, but um, yeah. So we both have released smoke, and I think we have we we were humbled by this experience. Yeah. But I think I think you need some fuses there, Pete. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of course. You know, but listen, I'm guilty of not following my own advice too, because here I am working on this NE602 rig that I've been telling you about, and I, have I installed my reverse polarity protection diode yet? No. No. Oh, okay. Am, am <laughs> I living right. dangerously? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's the problem. You think, hey, well, nothing will go wrong, you know? Yeah. yeah we got, you got you got to live on the you got to live dangerously. I was, <laughs> yeah. I was I was talking to a guy last night. We were talking about the world's most uh, most interesting man, the Dos Equis man, and we were talking about famous quotes about him. And just this comes to mind now. And it says, um, he flirted with danger once, and afterwards. Danger got clingy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. All right. So anyway, but I, 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 you get some fuses, and I'll get the diode, and then we'll be all right. But okay. But so after you release smoke, now you've got, you've had some adventures with uh, Diffex on sixty meters. Yeah, yeah. What's this well, about? Well, you know, it's a uh, first of, I guess the what triggered this was uh, Don Cantrell when he he moved the Bit X forty to sixty meters. And you did that. Yep. And uh, I said, you know, I've never really been on 60 meters. And I took one of my 40-meter radios and uh, moved it down to 60 meters. And uh, I started reading up a little bit on it. And there's um, 
there's some interesting a aspects of 60 meters uh, that uh, uh, there's a proposed rule change that's going to make a kind of a marked difference. So I'm going to I'm going to shift a little bit to the techie side here, Bill, because go ahead. We've had some comments that this is not technical enough. So techie side. So if you are contemplating moving a radio to 60 meters, like a 40 meter radio to 60, um, there's a couple things that you need to think about and, and you need to look at carefully. Uh, first of uh, the two things that really make a difference, especially with the SI-5351, you, you can move the radio anywhere. <laughs> you just change the software and say, okay, put it here, put it there. But you need to do some frequency analysis. In my case, the radio had a 9 megahertz uh, crystal filter in it. So uh, if I wanted to get an output on, on 5 megahertz, um, which is the 60 meter band, means that the yellow had to be on 14 you know, 14 minus nine is five. So, right. so you got to make sure that you you understand what's going to happen with the mixing process. Um, I had a uh, 40 meter uh, uh, bandpass filter in there that I had uh, an LT spice, and uh, what I did is I took that 40 meter bandpass filter and then I I looked at the spice simulation and saw what values I needed to change. And essentially, just by taking the 40 meter bandpass filter. Uh, I could get that to a nice shape curve on 60 meters uh, with the addition of just a couple of capacitors. I added two 150 picofarads across the tuned tanks, uh, tuned up the little trimmer a little bit, and uh, and then I looked at the spice simulation, and sure enough, put, puts it really nice on on 40 on 60 meters. But you also need to address the the low pass filter. Uh, the low pass filter had a cutoff at about. 7.5 megahertz and you could live dangerously on the edge and say ah you know seven and a half i'm not going to worry about that just <laughs> it'll just you know five is underneath that'll just go right through but you do need to be concerned because uh the second harmonic of that second that seven mega megahertz filters on 14 megahertz which is where the lo is so your LO, in my case, the LO, okay, yeah, yeah. in my case, the LO is on 14 megahertz, which is a second harmonic. So you got to worry about 14 megahertz energy slipping through that bandpass filter on the second harmonic. So I had to, go, I had to put a different L, uh, low pass filter in there, and it's kind of interesting. Uh, I said, okay, uh, let's. My standard design is the W3NQN uh, low pass filter, which was a paper he wrote for QST. But it doesn't cover 60 meters. So I, uh, I simulated, uh, I looked at the values for 80 meters and 40 meters, and I said, okay, if I pick somewhere in between, that that, that ought to be just about right. And I, I tried that in the simulation. That didn't look too good. So then I said, well, who who's making filters? And WADIZ has a filter kit for 60 meters, and so does Hans Summers. And the QRP Labs, you, you can buy those. He's got a neat little kit you can buy. But I just looked at the values, and I gotta—I gotta tell you, um, when I looked at WADIZ and I looked at uh, Hans Summers, the values are decidedly different, but the coils are close. So I'm saying, wait a minute, <laughs> how can you have different capacitor values? And so uh, I looked at the Hans Summer ones because I actually had the capacitors. I cool. used a couple, couple of 680, couple of 1200. I changed that uh, 40 meter bandpass filter, and and I feel a lot better about it because n now I, I know nothing is slipping through at, at 14 megahertz on the second harmonic. So there are five channels 
there are five channels, and one of the proposed changes, which actually has been authorized uh, by the World Administrative Radio Conference, uh, effective the January one of this year, but they are not authorized here in the United States as yet. The FCC has to, you know, the World Administrative Radio Conference says, yeah, that's okay, but the FCC has to really issue a report and order, I guess is the terminology they use, and say, yeah, you can use it. But what's going to happen is, Channel 3 uh, is, is going to be a tunable channel so that you can end up, instead of having just five channels, you can have like nine single sideband channels. Channel 3 will be tunable, uh, plus or minus 7.5 kilohertz uh, either side. Uh, but at the ends, uh, specialized is reserved for CW only and data and there's some other weird type of experimental stuff you can do at the other end. So essentially, you're going to have four channels four additional sideband channels and what was on channel three. So when I uh, looked at that, I figured a way that I have a band switch on the front that tunes the five channels, but only on channel three, you have an encoder that can tune the plus or minus five kilohertz. I thought that was so cool. I had told Don Cantrell, I said, you're going to have to do this when this change comes through. And then I turned around the next day, I checked your blog and you had already done it. A man ahead of his time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, there is something else coming with this change, and it has the guys in California here kind of upset. They're reducing the power. Well, the, well. On that channel. It says uh, 15 watts. Yeah, but I think the ARRL has a proposal in. That's what the, uh, I think the IARU recommended. Yeah. But I think the ARRL, if I'm not mistaken, I think the <coughs> ARRL is, is pushing to have that changed here to 100 watts. Oh, that, so it'd be, so it'd be 100 watts standardized all the way across. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I thought it was kind of cool that they were going to keep it at 15 because that would be perfect for bid access. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, I, but I, 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 the last I heard, they were going to go with, with, with 100. But, Pete, I want to go back for a second to what you said about, you know, moving it in frequency. And because this raises an interesting question. And this came up because if you watch the, the BIDX20 group on it's BIDX20.io, it's a mailing list. And it started out as BIDX20. Hans Summers set it up. But now it's mostly about the BIDX40 module. And there's all this talk, and there was Don's modification. And it, there is some confusion, but it's interesting, technically interesting confusion, and it's an opportunity to learn. Because guys are saying that, wait a second, you're moving the BIDX40, which is built for 40-meter lower sideband, and you're moving it to 60 meters, which is upper sideband. Side band. So I've seen a number of guys on the mailing list say, hey, wait a second. Don't th doesn't that mean we have to change the placement of the BFO so that this thing will receive upper sideband? And the answer is, no, we do not if we put the VFO on the right side of Correct. the pass, uh, pass band. Now, this gets to a rule that we've talked about a number of times, and I think it's super useful. It's super useful in this circumstance, and it's worth repeating. It has to do with sideband inversion. Inversion. All right? Yeah. Guys get all wrapped around the axle about this, but here's the rule. If you are subtracting in your mixer the signal with the modulation on it from the signal without the modulation, the signal without the modulation being from your local oscillator, or your VFO, or your right. SI5351, only if you are subtracting the signal with the modulation from the signal 
without the modulation, then you will get sideband, sideband inversion. inversion. And in this case, in in your case, you you were you were running the oscillator at um, 14, 14 megs, right? And then you were subtracting five from it to get to the nine megahertz IF. So you did get sideband, sideband inversion. inversion. So the so the signal comes in. It's an upper sideband fig signal, but when it goes through the mixer, it gets inverted. It becomes a lower sideband signal. And then what do we say? I put a different BFO frequency. No, in you no. First, you got to say Bob's your uncle. <laughs> Bob is your mother's brother. His mother. Yeah. Right. There you go. There you go. Bob's your mother's <laughs> brother. Bob's your uncle. Now, I I don't want to confuse things, but because of that. When we put the VFO up there and we subtract the modulation from it, then it becomes sideband inverted, and we don't have to move the BFO on the bit X40 board. So what I did in my case was I I went with a, I'm I'm running with a, a standard bit X which has the filter around 12 megahertz. I changed the VFO up to 17 megahertz around up there. So when the 5 megahertz signal comes in upper sideband, it is subtracted in the mixer. The sideband is inverted, and I don't have to mess with the filter or the BFO right. placement or any of that. Bob's your uncle. Yeah, because you're using a lower sideband crystal initially right. for 40 meters. Right. So that, the thing is, the thing, the and yeah, yeah. And, and all all of the bid X's are set up when they, when they when they come out of the box, they're set up for non-sideband inversion, right? Because they're running, remember, they're running the VFO the other way, right? The other way. The, Five the and VFO, seven is 12, yeah. Right, right. The VFO is running, it's a good example to illustrate this. On the standard bid X, the VFO or the Raduino is running around 5 megahertz. The signal is coming in at 7. So in that mixing situation, you're adding the, you're taking the sum frequency of the signal with the modulation and the signal without the modulation, you will not have sideband inversion. So lower sideband comes in, it comes out of the mixer, it's still lower sideband. The filter and the BFO are set up for lower sideband. We're done. We're good. So this was a way, this this scheme that w was a way of, of getting this all done without uh, get going through the change, having to change the, the, the placement of the BFO, uh, which is a pain uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in, the, in the transceiver. So that was pretty cool. But in my transceivers, <laughs> I, I I just have a switch that says upper sideband or lower sideband, and if it if it doesn't display on the display right, I can go in there and change the code so it'll come out right. So I mean, I, I'm not using the bidx architecture. Right, so right, right. When, right. When, when I'm doing it, doesn't it doesn't make a difference. I just flip a switch and say it's upper sideband or lower yes. sideband. I'm gonna try to see if I could turn on 60 meters here, just while since we're talking about it, we'll do a yeah. little bit of. A, uh, I got I got mine set up. Hold on a second. There you go. All right, so there you go. That's that's channel one through the bit X. It's using Don Cantrell's VFO, and his is really cool because what he's done is he set up the SI fifty three fifty one in the sketch, so it'll only hit the five channels. So it's not like you're tuning around. You just you hit the indent. And it moves from channel one to channel two, channel three, channel four. It spends one second on each if you hold it down. So I put a little switch on mine so it can scan the five channels because there's not a lot of activity on this band. So watch, I'll hit the, the scanner switch. 
Now, one is they're only talking on channel one right now. The other channels are empty, which is a, which just says something about 60. There you go. A lot of nice local conversations, but but I like it. Oh yeah. Well, I, I have a, a couple stories to share with you. Uh, first of, we find that uh, Channel Five is known as the DX channel, uh, and when you when you uh, read about the literature, they said you know understand that uh, DX stations like to hang out there, so. You know, having rag chews and round tables, uh, pick one of the other channels. And Yeah, maybe uh, because I, that, that may be one of the only channels where there's a frequency overlap with Europe at this point. Yeah, yeah. So they, they said be sensitive to that. And uh, But, uh, you know, I, I don't hear too much on Channel 2. I, I mainly hear Channel 1, 3, 4, and 5. Uh, for some unknown reason, Channel 2 is just uh, doesn't seem very popular out here in the West Coast. But I got one of those SDR police reports. Okay. Oh, I saw that. <laughs> you know, the person said, gee, I, I, I'm a solder smoke podcast listener and I recognized your call and I, I was trying to get my microphone and I was going to contact you, but I had my, um, they had a uh, Flex 1500, I think was the radio, or maybe it was the 3000, 3000 or 1500. It's, a, it's an older model. And, and you know, while your sa- signal sounded really crisp, I saw some energy beyond 2800. Oh man, saw the energy. Saw the energy. So I said, hey, you know, that could be. And I, I did check my mic gain, and I, I, I did have it cranked up a little bit. So I, I could see where that would happen. But, you know, it's interesting that people's lives are all just checking people's signals. <laughs> you know, that's, 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 that's their whole existence. But anyway, um, I think this is a YL. And I, I said, you know, I hope that uh, sometime in the future we can um, have a, a QSO. And, and I... And what I feel bad about is that she was not able to contact me. If she would have told me that while we were on the air, that then it was something I could have looked at pretty quickly. I had to wait three days, you know, before she finally sent me an email. So uh, I'm okay with that. And um, I set my mic gain down. And, and it was really, uh, Bill, it was really an honest mistake because I was using one mic. And then I, I decided to switch mics. But the mic gain control is inside the radio not on the front panel so i just never went back and reset it you know it could happen to all of us pete yeah yeah, so, yeah but, uh, i've run into some really nice people and the other thing that's interesting is i actually hear at night uh, i can hear stations out to a thousand fifteen fifteen hundred miles so i mean with, with a really good antenna and that's the secret is uh, with the power limitation of 100 watts of course that doesn't apply to everybody this one guy was telling me he's running 350 so he could be heard you know well, okay well, you know, you're not supposed to be that's it you do you run a lot you run it you hear people on there it's kind of scary i heard one guy on and he was talking to the others and he said what's this channel thing you're talking about i just tuned around till i heard you guys <laughs> Okay. Well, yeah, okay, but there's there's strict okay. channels, and yeah. he, he he was unaware of the 100 watt thing too, so uh, yeah, yeah. yeah kind of scary out there. Well, you know, the, immediately they start out. The the guy said, "Well, he said, you know, you you sound okay." He said, "You're you're only an S5." He said, "Get an amp on that thing." He said, "So you can be 40 over nine, you know." <laughs> well, well, why is why is it you got to be 40 over nine? Well, know? I think that I think that is one of the beauties of the band. I mean, the fact that the 100 watt limitation is there. It filters out a certain kind of personality. Yeah. I actually heard there was a guy, there were two guys on 60 meters talking, and they were lamenting the fact 
that many of their other friends refused to join them on the 60-meter band because these guys were apparently of the opinion that communication between radio amateurs was impossible if full legal limit was not being employed. So they said, I'm not going to get on 60 meters because I can't run my amp there and I don't want anybody straining to hear from hear me. So, I mean, far from, from the QRP world, these guys are like, it's like 1.5 kW or nothing. And so we could do without these folks on 60 right. meters. Well, here's some data for you. And uh, I... I only once had it on on an amplifier, so most of the time I'm only running 8, 10 watts, something like that. And I can consistently contact the station that's uh, near Sacramento, which which I looked looked them up. It's 392 miles. So 392 miles consistent. It's not just, oh, yeah, I made one contact. It's consistent. I'll get on there and it'll say, oh, yeah, hi, Pete, how you doing? So the thing is, uh, that's that's much like the Bidex, you know, at uh, five or six watts. You you get out there to the uh, four or five hundred mile range consistently. Yep, you can do yep. that. I mean, it's a little marginal at one watt, but I but I'd really say that you get in the eight to ten watt range, you'll have the the five hundred mile contact, and you won't be forty over nine. But you know, just like we're talking here, it'll be perfectly a, a good QSO. So, but uh, met some nice people. Uh, yeah. There's crews. There, there seem to be some roundtables, and they talk about interesting things. Some of it is technical. I do get a little worried, though. Some of the guys have taken some of the commercial radios and have just moved them, and uh, yeah. that, that's fine. But but then I was reading up, and it says, by the way, don't move this radio, <laughs> and that's the one they're using. They said, and here's why, is because the low-pass filter such won't be effective. Do not move this radio. You know, other, They had a list of... These are the ones that are okay to move. These are the ones that are not. Oh, and the man, one that yeah. you hear me. So, well, you know, I got my reaction to the band. A couple of things. I, I've kind of kind of got mixed feelings about it. First, it's it's super interesting just to get on a new band. I mean, it's a you know, yeah. I, think I, I had the experience a year or so ago with 160, and now this band, which leads me to think I I might have six meters in my future because all the weird bands, all the weird new bands, have six in them. 160. 66 meters you think i don't want to get biblical i don't want to get biblical here but or or, or 12 which is the two times six well there you go i need you the mathematical connection but anyway uh 60 meters it's the the propagation characteristics are interesting i agree with you i I was in cuso with a a station up in canada which is quite a distance from me and then at this at in the same contact i was talking to a guy who was 20 miles away on the other side of Washington, D.C., which is unusual because normally that a station that close would be, it's over the horizon, it's too yeah. far for ground wave, it's in the skip zone. But I think what happens with, with 60 is you get kind of a mixture of characteristics. It's a mixture of the characteristics of 75 <laughs> and 40, and there's a lot of NVIS stuff going on. Yeah. The antenna, where I, was, I was just using a 40-meter dipole with a tuner, which is far from ideal. But it, it's, it produced a lot of contacts. I went out. I have this 160-meter quarter-wave antenna. It's about 150 feet of wire with an L network at the base. I tuned that up for 60 meters, too. I could get that going on 60. And on, with some stations, I do better with that antenna. But other stations, if I flip over to the 40-meter dipole, it's a, lot, it's a lot better. You know that culturally, uh, 60 is an interesting band, I think, because of 
a couple things. Well, first, we talked about the 100-watt restriction. But the other thing is there's there, there aren't a lot of commercial antennas available for 60. So almost all of the people you're talking to are running wire antennas of one sort or another. And that makes it kind of interesting. The, the, the lack of the amplifiers, the wire antennas, it kind of levels the playing field, which is, which is kind of nice. The channelization, uh, I think it's not such a good thing because I think it leads to kind of, kind of closed groups. Like you said, there's a lot of groups there, but you get the sense sometimes that these are groups that are on channel one at 4.30 in the afternoon every single day. And it sort of becomes like, almost like on 75. This is their spot. This is their, now they've all, all the ones that I've encountered have been, been really friendly. But it, it does, the channelization thing seems to be kind of encouraging this kind of uh, closed groups. Also, the other thing I'm noticing, and this is good and bad, there's not a lot of activity. A lot of times I'll, I'll know that 60 is open because if you go to Whisper, if you go to the Whisper net, there are Whisper stations on 60. And you can see when the band is open because these Whisper stations are, are showing up all the way out, you know, out to the to the Midwest. It's, I think it's mostly a daytime band, but um, you, you see them out there, and then, but then you'll you'll go to the channels and you can't hear anybody. You'll, a lot of times I'll call CQ, and I know I'm getting out, but nobody's responding. So, uh, kind of mixed feelings about it, but um, I I, just, I generally like it, and I'm I'm having I'm having a lot of fun with it. And it's and it's really fun to get on there with the uh, with the Bidex module and use the the modification that don cantrell came up with which we have on bidx hacks uh, at blogspot.com check it out there's all he, he gave a real good description of how to how to move the uh, the bidx 40 to 60 meters all you really need are um four capacitors three 100 picofarad caps and then one 220 picofarad cap uh he did his with surface mounts and just plopped the surface mount on top of the caps in the low pass in the bandpass filter. Uh, he, he didn't have to modify his low pass filter at all because it didn't have the problem that you mentioned, right? So you, if you're if you're putting out you know 5.3 megahertz, your uh, your second harmonic is you know 10.6, which is going to be knocked down by the bit X40 uh, low pass filter. So no problem with that. Um, and then the only other thing I had to do was to, to put Don's um, code into my SI5351 uh, system. And, and there we go again. Bob's your uncle and you're on 60 meters. It was really, really easy. So I, I would definitely give it a try. Um, and, and I think it's an interesting band in a lot of ways. I think this this, this modification to the channelization rule that you, you mentioned is going to make a big difference. And I think that'll bring a lot more activity there. I, heard, I know what you mean about Channel 5. I heard that was the only place where I've, I've come across any kind of acrimony on the band. And when, when I, I didn't really understand it at first, but there was some guy calling CQDX on CW on Channel 5. And he came in right over the top of a kind of a local ragchew group. And the CW op was obviously annoyed. I think he was wrong because the, the sideband guys had there, been there first. And he just sort of showed up and started calling CQDX. You know, yeah, because because he thought that that was you know his territory or something. But it's you know, these kind of these kind of silly arguments, I think, are more likely to crop up with channelization. But uh, hopefully, at least that one area is going to get dechannelized. 
But you've yeah. come up with a concept. Hey, maybe we should switch a little bit. You got anything else on 60? No, the only thing is uh, two two important points of, of our lengthy dis- technical discussion here. Make sure you're, if you switch your bandpass filter that you do have it set up properly. And if you have certain frequency schemes, the low-pass filter is going to be really important. You can't just use... Say, oh, yeah, 40 meters will work. Uh, you need to make sure, especially if you're using something different than the Bidex, like I was doing. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I was really, I was, I was confident in doing it this way because Don Cantrell checked the, the second, har- checked the harmonic output. And for, and for that reason, that was the, uh, the fourth capacitor that I mentioned. He said that by putting a 220 picofarad cap across one of the coils in the output of the, uh, of the Bidex now bidx 60 module you'd bring the uh, harmonic content down into fcc specs so don, don has been coming up with some great stuff oh yeah what an, ar- what an artist he is too oh yeah i mean i mean the drawings if you guys haven't seen i've got them up on the solder smoke blog and on the bidx blog but man they're really uh, they really are things of beauty so great stuff hey but you've come up with a new you keep coming up with new terms for us pete diffx what's diffx. a diffx yeah. Yeah, something you got different. Bidex? What's a Diffex? Something different than the Bidex. <laughs> Why not? Why not? <laughs> it's a Diffex. No disrespect. No. No, I, no. And I'm sure Farhan will understand. And I, I said I, I definitely uh, uh, was in need of, of Diffex because I am on now Bidex number five. Holy cow. Three scratch built and two modules. And, uh, and, and that's, that's, that's enough. So that's, that's why I built this NE602 rig that I've been telling you about. Which I've been having fun with, but but you've come up with the concept. We call it a diffx, and you, your diffx was the 60 meter rig we've just been discussing. I've also liked your discussion of architecture and and dual conversion rigs. That's been yes. pretty cool. Yes, yes. On Pete's blog, he's got a kind of a, an ongoing discussion of different different ways to uh, to build an SSB rig, and uh, really really interesting stuff. So uh, yeah, you know the uh, the important thing is uh, before you start with a soldering iron take some time with pencil and paper you, you know you you can't just indiscriminately change things without realizing what what the impact may be especially like uh, with a dual conversion transceiver when i when i built my kwm4 which was a dual conversion uh one of the things that became obvious is the scheme i was using was going to eliminate 30 meters so it didn't bother me that it was going to eliminate 30 meters but it may someone else so uh take a little time noodling do a frequency analysis do a frequency scheme and say you know will this work and of course the uh si 5351 uh really uh is coming into play here especially with that third clock just providing a fixed frequency for a second conversion mixer so just kind of oh, cool that's that kinda is cool. really cool that and that was what i was going to mention you know farhan continues to work on his new a multi-band, all-band transceiver, the micro X, and he's got information of it up on up on up on his uh, in his website. It's really something to check out. And I thought that was one of the major kind of innovations in the world of the SI5351. I think this is the first time we've seen a design that where all three of the clocks are being used. So one is for the VFO, one is for the second mixer because it's a dual conversion rig, and then the third one, as we've been doing is the bfo so i think that that is that is really really interesting pete what's the big kahuna the big kahuna there you go <laughs> what the heck hey, is that? 
The big kahuna is is a rig that I put a large display on. Therefore, the big kahuna. Now, I thought it was an amplifier. Thing. It, no, no, I no. I thought that's no. what got you in trouble. No, 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 no. The big kahuna is the fact that, uh, you know, a lot of us have used the small OLED displays, a lot of information, less, you know, less than one inch on the side. The big kahuna is a uh, 320 by 240 display. So lots of information, quite large. So, you know, let me see that big kahuna. Of course, uh, uh, a friend down in um, Australia who's a uh, solder smoke podcast listener said, when I heard you say that, I thought you were building a rig on top of a surfboard. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> Mahalo. Yeah, yeah, there you go, the big kahuna. But uh, it was just, I, I had to think of something. I said, look at that big kahuna over there, you know, like a big surfboard, big display. And boy, it, it uh, I picked a pink background on a black front panel. So it really... It stands and it goes. Up. It it really stands out with Giuliano Blue. Yeah, yeah, it really does. It really, and does. the color scheme is. is yeah, it's actually, pretty, pretty uh, this is uh, this is a, a Defex architecture, and uh, while I've only it's on two bands, uh, it is the software is is five band cable, and the only reason I did two bands is the band switching is pretty simple with the double pull double throw switch. Put it in one direction, it's one band. Another band is the other direction, and it it switches the relays to for the band pass and low pass filters. So, uh, you know, from a switching architecture, makes it really nice. But you could pick any two bands, like eighty and forty, or forty and twenty, twenty and fifteen, or eighty and ten. It's just you got to put the right band pass and low pass filters in there. So, it makes it kind of nice, and it's a rather compact rig, and by itself puts out. Somewhere between, depending on the band, on 40 meters, you'll get close to 20 watts out. And on uh, 15, on 20, you'll get about 15, 16 watts. And that's enough to drive my 3CPX 1500 A7 homebrew amplifier to about 800 watts. Oosh! <laughs> quiet. Be quiet. Watts. It's going to be used against you. element beam, 3 dB gain. That's a 1600 watt equivalent into a dipole. Okay, guys? There it is. Call it, this is a California kilowatt. Yeah, this is why he's got. I think. I think in your defense, you should point out that you are in California. Yeah, yeah, and it worked really well in the WPX contest. I mean, you know, first well, time call and they come right back. So yeah, hey, I got a five nine, but you know, when they had these big polyps, it was me first. You you know you're your own worst enemy here you know, sometimes. You, <laughs> I don't you actually, care. You, you don't need care. you need you need to have legal legal advice. I don't care. Um, I, uh, but wait, the, here, in your defense, you, Pete Giuliano, QRP criminal, are featured in a recent edition of Hackaday. QRP? You know, that, that world of, of you know, of Q, computer guys with a QRP rig using a Philco SB100. Yeah. Putting out how much power? Well, it's now up to about... 20 milliwatts or so. 20 milliwatts. <laughs> initially, it was right, less than a milliwatt. Go. Less there than a milliwatt, go. yeah. And these QRP guys found it fascinating. I looked at the comments. They were, you know, the normal trolls were, were left speechless. Well, a few of them made really crappy comments. Like, they, you know. They make crappy <laughs> comments every morning. They come downstairs, their mother says good morning, and they, they, they hit her with some insult. That's what but, these people do. But you, you were the guy that instigated that because you featured that 10 milliwatt thing and you put, by, Don, by, by, by Stoner. Yeah, W6TNS, and you said, yeah, you know, look at this, Pete. So I said, okay, here you go. <laughs> yeah, so, but you, you got on Hackaday. You know, you got, you got the fame and fortune there, my friend. That's, hey, there you, you know, go. There you excellent, go. excellent stuff. Well, I was glad to see that. By, by the um, way, I, I have in work an SB100 regen receiver. 
make it that make it that finish too. Oh my so, God! So there you go. Hey, go, going back a second, you were talking about dual band and double conversion. Mm. All right, it's like double trouble here. I, I'm I, on this thing. I, I, I continue to be tempted to do a dual band rig because a while back I tried it with 20 and 40 and failed miserably because of my poor IF selection. But I still think I'd like to go back and I'm always attracted to this 9 megahertz, 5 megahertz scheme from the early days of SSB where guys got on both 75 and 20 meters, you know, with the same filter, the same BFO, VFO. So I'm always kind of called in by that but i have to say double conversion which is a completely different thing the double conversion where you you know you do you have one if then you have a second if that scares me i i'm with allison on that one allison is allison is you know a big advocate of single, single conversion, conversion single yeah. conversion but i i can see you know i know why farhan's doing it because it's he doesn't he wants a multi-band rig and this is the way to go but it's still, it's a scary thing. A lot of possibilities for spurs and birdies and all those horrible things in there. So uh, I think my next project might be dual band, but single conversion. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, Allison makes a good point. And that's, that was harking back to the comment I made about a frequency analysis. You got to pick that stuff right. And, and with the SI5351, if you said everything above you're you're in a much better position than below. For instance, right. if you you he picked 45. If your second conversion frequency is uh, 54, the difference is nine. So you're yeah. so so you're way above, and you can you know filter that out. But that that could be. Uh, it's kind of scary that you know if you don't look at the frequency analysis, and I, I had to do that on the KWM4 was to look and see where there was going to be a problem. And uh, you know Allison's right, but the dual band. Uh, is really kind of cool. Now, I what I'm going to just share some with you. The first single sideband solid state transceiver I ever built was about 1971. And interestingly enough, uh, it used the nine megahertz IF, a KVG crystal filter, and uh, it started out with as a receiver. And because you had the nine megahertz crystal filter. Just by putting the right front end on that, you could have either 75 meters or 20 meters. Just, just exactly as you're saying, the the tool, the two bands. So all you had to do is on the on the front end mixer stage is put the right bandpass filter, depending upon whether you got 75 or 20 meters. So I mean, you know, this is this is a well known technique, and that'd be kind of fun. And with a double pole, double throw switch. Uh, you know, one half of the switch controls the Arduino to put it in right frequency, and the other half switches your filters. So can be done really yeah. easy. Bob's your uncle. All right. Um, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> no, all right. Hey, listen, mentioning Allison, I, there was there's an email. Every once in a while, Allison sends out a message that just, you look at it, you say, wow, there's just so much yeah. wisdom and tribal knowledge in that thing. And I, I'm, I'm going to try to dig it up and, 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 and put it on the blog. But she put out one recently on, uh, on receivers. And she was basically making two points. And I hope I don't mangle her, her wisdom here when I just try to summarize it. But the first she was talking about was the danger of too much RF gain 
in in a receiver, especially on 40 meters, because if you got yeah. you know if you got too much gain in that RF amplifier, especially ahead of the mixer, all you're going to do is strong signals elsewhere in the band, especially say during a CW contest, are going to come in, and they're going to push that either the RF amplifier or the mixer into distortion. And you're going to get all kinds of ugly output products, and the receiver is going to sound terrible. And all of its parameters, under under normal conditions, it might be okay. But when you get like a wall of really strong CW signals there, all that energy could come in and just cause the the first couple stages to go into overload, and you know, and and it'll make a mess. So she's a big advocate in having switchable uh, pads available at the at the input. So. If you, you start hearing that, and I do hear it on my BitX40 because I've got the an RF TIA amp with probably a bit too much gain ahead of the mixer. And so I think I'm going to follow her advice and have some switchable, I guess, 10 or 20 dB pads that I could switch in from the front panel if I start noticing. You know, when you start hearing up in the phone band, you're hearing like CW contest signals coming through you know that something is wrong, you know, and, and, and I've had that a couple of occasions when in some of these big contests like sweepstakes or something, I start, I start hearing that, so I definitely need it. Now, she made a second point that really kind of scared me, and it just shows how much more advanced she is than most of the rest of us. She was talking about how you have to be really careful and precise in setting the, uh, the input level from the VFO to the input of the SBL mixers or, or whatever diode ring mixer you're using. And she was, you know, talking about how different diodes as used in the diode ring mixers have different requirements for LO injection. Me, man, I've been just sitting there thinking 7 dBm. Woohoo. And I, and I've, I've been pretty kind of not precise about it. If it looks like it's close enough and it sounds okay, you know, I just move on. But she's pointed out about how this it 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 has a big impact on on mixer performance. Yeah, and it made me think that we may need to be more careful about this, Pete. Uh, if I could respond to those two comments, first of uh, in my KWM4, uh, there's an attenuator switch on the front panel that switches in a 10 dB pad. There's a relay in there that either shorts this out or yeah. puts it in there. So yeah, she's absolutely right. Did you use it a lot? Yeah, I do Good. on 40 yeah. meters and, and yeah. 75. I mean, some sometimes on 75 the signals are really strong. Maybe think the, 10, 10, 10 dB is good. Yeah. Well, I just I it. said okay, 10 dB. That that looks about right. The other thing is that's an advantage of a dual conversion, especially where that first filter, like in my KWM4, the first filter is is 7.5 kilohertz wide. So roofing some, filter. Roofing filter. So some of that crap that you you with a single conversion it'll just slip right through uh you know if some station is 10 kilohertz away you're you're going to really attenuate it they ain't going to do anything for something that's a kilohertz away and that's where you get the, the overload but that's where the uh, 10 db pad comes into play now you, there is a there are settings available in the si5351 you got to be really careful like the ade1l which i have in a in a board right now are three dBm devices, not seven dBm. Right. So you want to set the you set the uh, drive level to two milliamps instead of the eight. Normally everybody just sets it to eight and says, "Okay, right, it's right, gonna right. work." Set it for two because it'll work perfect. Uh, ADE1L, 
Now, you know, if you had, uh, there, there are some 13 dBm devices, 7, there's some 10s, but the ADE1L are 3 dm devices. Now, the ADE1 is a 7 dBm device, so be careful. If you get the low power one, that's what the L stands for. You only you need only two milliamps on your SI5351, not the eight. When I was doing the, the, the Digitia, I was facing this, and I what I ended up doing was just figuring out how much uh, of how much attenuation I needed to get to the seven dBm level, and I built little uh, resistive pie pads and put them in there, there you and go. that knocked it down. That worked fine, but I remember being kind of cavalier about it you know and if it got close enough i'd say yeah that's okay and then when i read allison's message i realized i probably should have been more careful yeah yeah. anyway fun stuff great stuff from allison thanks for that and i hope she sends out uh more messages she's a real a real resource for for all of us um please note we're talking technical stuff here please note this is technical 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 stuff we hope we we're not uh you know (laughs) irritating anybody all right uh hey um Oh, just one more thing on the BitX40. I had an interesting experience on this. Two nights ago, I got on. Uh, I was calling CQ. A guy came back, uh, Josh, KE8 Charlie Papa Delta out in Michigan, a young fellow, just recent college graduate. And we started talking, and I told him about the BitX. He was on a commercial rig, but he said to me, hey, Bill, I got a BitX40 module right here in front of me. I couldn't believe it. And I said, you're kidding me. He says, I said, no. He said, no, I've just been listening on it. I haven't made any contacts. I said, well, it's time to make a contact. And we, we tried to fire it up that night, but the band was kind of collapsing on us. So we agreed to meet the next night. But the next night, he, was, he told me, he said, I might not be home because I'm going to be at the club, at the radio club. But he was going to bring the rig with him. So he emailed me from the radio club, and he said, I'm here. And they got a big 40-meter antenna. I said, Giddy app, let's go. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and we made the contact. This oh, is his first wow. ever BitX40 contact. Uh, he, he doesn't think he's getting enough power out from it, but we're going to continue to work on it. We might work on it tonight. But it was really cool to kind of talk somebody through uh, their first, you know, homebrew BitX contact using my BitX to, to do the uh, the kind of the, the mentoring there on the air. So great stuff. And thanks for that, uh, Josh. That was a lot of fun. I got some tribal knowledge questions for you, Mr. Tribal Knowledge. I've had problems, and these are the problems where I find myself thinking, Pete would know what to do, so I'm going to ask Pete. You know, a lot of us are switching over to BNC connectors, none of those big old, you know, World War II, what is it, RG-239s or whatever they are, PL-239s. SO-239. There you go. (laughs) PL-259 is the matching one. It's the SO-239. how quickly we forget. But we've moved on to the BNC, the bayonet things that, that, are, that everybody likes better. They are easier. They, you just drill one little hole, you put them in there. But my problem is, how do you get them from stopping to spin around? You know what I'm saying? After you, you put them on and turn them off a couple times, it seems to me no matter how much I tighten them down, they end up getting loose and spinning around. Then the coax breaks off inside and i got to go back in. Is this just me, Pete, or is this a problem that other well, people have? Well, what you... you First of, let's back up a second. Take a look at your BNC connector. And when you look at the threaded side, you'll notice it's not a perfect circle. It's more like an ellipse. Ah. So so the problem is you're you're making a round hole. But what those were intended to do was that you'd have kind of a slotted hole that was round at each end so that when you put it in, 
it's not going to move because it can't rotate. You're putting a round hole in there. That's the problem. So I got to get one of those elliptical <laughs> drill bits. Huh? No, no, <laughs> no. What you do is you undersize. You undersize the hole that you're uh -huh. going to put it in, and then you get yourself a rat tail file, and you at the top and the bottom. If you're going to line it top to bottom, you carefully uh, file it out so that you're creating an elliptical size hole. That's the way to stop that from doing that's the I knew, knowledge I knew you I knew you would know that <laughs> take a look at your BNC connector you look at it and say why are the sides kind of flush right. and not round and that's to prevent it so it go, when it goes in there it's not going to move oh man and and then if you're really stuck the other thing is you you need to use the star washer with it <laughs> that's easy. Oh, I know the, the star washer helps but not that take much take a look at your BNC you'll see it's got certain part Parts of the si opposite sides are flat, and the the problem is is you're making a round hole, and it's going to just round. It's square peg round hole thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. Here's the second question for travel knowledge. Do you use heat shrink tubing? Yeah. Yes. Is it worth using? Yes. You use it all the time, or sometimes, or occasionally, or all the time. Oh man, I got to get some then. Yeah, because I've been I've been covering things up with bits of electrical tape and everything else, and then they fall off, and it's a mess. Let me let me tell you, I even bought a heat gun that you can do it. And so some of these heat guns, uh, they have just a real fine nozzle, and then others have this kind of have a, a spray type nozzle that you can flat it out. And every time you go to use that doggone thing, you know, after you heat it up, you don't want to put it anywhere because you're going to burn yourself or burn a hole in something. So what I got, what I found out works really well is these lighters you know these lighters that you can light a charcoal thing on the, oh you, i got i have it, several of them here they're very useful in the shack put your heat shrink tooting put that on you it's a nice thin small point and you can do the small heat shrink tubing oh, it works perfect all right what kind of heat shrink tuning should, tubing should i get any well any, you're going to need tips? various sizes and yeah. uh, it used to be nice. The local Radio Shack before it went out of business it used to have the the really small stuff that will take like number twenty six wire, and then you you get some of the bigger stuff. Matter of fact, when I made cable bundles, I'd get the big heat shrink tube that was about a half inch in diameter. So this way, if you had like uh, you needed a cable bundle that had five or ten wires in it, and uh, but you probably find that something that's uh, maybe it'll handle uh, you know a single conductor. Um, you know, you're, you're looking at number 24, number 22, right. and then, okay. then you look at something that's a little bit bigger. Like if, uh, if you have a resistor, for instance, if you had a power resistor that you're putting connections on and, and let's say this is, uh, think, think of it in terms of, uh, say a one watt resistor. Remember what one watt carbon resistor is about a quarter inch in diameter. So you want to get some heat shrink tubing that'll fit over that. So just a couple of sizes and, you know, you only use small pieces at a time, so if you buy three or four sizes, you'll you'll have enough to last you for a year or more. Well, all right, good. Well, I'm going to get some then. I'm going to move ahead. More progress here. Hey, uh, as long as just just little little odds and ends here. Uh, I, I'm, we've been talking about this little signal generator they bought, the Field Tech signal generator, which I like. I find it very useful. But one thing I discovered, they might not have a blocking a DC a blocking capacitor in the output of this thing. Someone sent you an email on that. Yeah, what did they say? I I, yeah, it says you you be careful because there's no blocking capacitor. This was wow. about four or five months ago. Yeah. Well, I didn't remember that because yeah. I just discovered it on my own. Because what I was doing was I was I was taking the signal generator and going into the the connector 
for like BFO in on one of the transceivers that I'm working on. And everything would be fine, but I put it in there and all of a sudden I noticed that the you know the the, the, the signal from the SIG generator was getting messed up when I put it in there. But if I ran it through a 0.1 microfarad cap, everything is working fine. I think, holy smokes, they didn't they don't they don't have a blocking cap in there. What when you first when you first got the field tech, someone says, by the way, it's a great price. It'll do all this, but there's no blocking cap in there. Be sure oh, you man. put it in there. Yeah, someone sent Holy you an cow. email. Yeah, uh, you got a much better memory than I. I, I didn't remember that one. Well, I'm going to go in there and and and, and do that. That's that's important. Um, let's see. Oh, speaking. Hey, of wait, which, man. Speaking of, Shameless Commerce Division. I'm not going to get wait. get accused. Don't we're going to put it off. To, we're going to put it off till the end. Okay. okay. You know why? You know why? Some people are repeating this podcast on local repeaters okay and you're not you're not allowed to do music and you're not allowed to do commercial stuff so i want to make it easy on them we're not putting any music at the beginning of the end and we're going to do the commercial stuff at the end but thank you for reminding me. you bet all right um speaking of blocking capacitors last episode we were talking about the ne602 and i said something that was incorrect and one of our listeners from germany came back and corrected me i pointed out that you you need I, I was saying that you need to make sure that you put bypass capacitors on all the inputs and outputs of the NE602. And the listener came back and said, no, well, that's not right. Most of the time you're using kind of balanced out input uh, on pins on the two input pins and two output pins. And so you wouldn't need any kind of bypass caps. And I said, yep, that's right. But if you're using just one of the inputs, pin two. Right, pin one has to have 0.1 microfarad to ground. And the other thing is if you're just using one of the inputs or one of the outputs, you do have to do it through not a bypass cap, I should have said a DC blocking cap. If not, it's likely that whatever you're attaching it to will mess up the bias on the NE602 because the DC will just go through the coil that you have in the other device to ground and it'll mess everything up. So... Yeah, the guy who wrote in was right. I should have most of the time been saying DC blocking caps, but I was saying bypass caps. But it's it's just something to keep in mind when you're working on an NE602. Hey, how come we don't have a cable TV channel like the people who you know work on houses and gardens? You know that my wife we, we watch we always watch this HGTV mm-hmm. and yeah and it's all about you know fixing up your kitchen. Then I also watch the Velocity Channel, which is all about fixing up old cars, which is kind of cool. But I'm not a car guy, so I can, can't get that interested in it. But I was thinking, here's a question for the group. If they have HGTV, Home and Garden TV, HGTV, why not HBTV? Homebrew Brew TV. TV. Yeah. That's it. And it's not well, about beer. <laughs> I know. <laughs> George Thomas and those guys have their, their video cast they've been doing for many years. But we just need more of it. All right, so let's 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 think about that, guys. Hey, I got to do a quick report on the Hamfest. I went to Winterfest a couple weeks ago. Weather was awful here. Uh, the tailgaters all wimped out. I combined forces with uh, Armand, the BA1 UQO. We went through and looked at all the old cardboard boxes under the tables together. Ran into our old friend Charles, AI4OT, home brewer, Bidex builder, extraordinaire. Had a quick talk with him. Uh, I didn't get too much. I picked up some one-quarter-inch phono jacks, which are hard to get. They're, 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 you can't get them from Mauser or DigiKey. They're pretty hard to find these days. But I got a bunch of those. 
I picked up a microphone, cool-looking microphone, but it turns out it's got a carbon mic in it. Yuck, what are you going to do with a carbon mic? Well, just put bias on it and use it. <laughs> and, no, I'm going to rip it out and put the put an Electret in it. Oh, yeah. And use it the, the same, and use it for all the bit X's, but it's because it's a cool kind of uh, handle. I uh, picked up some old Vero boards, which are good for QRP projects, a bunch, a bunch of bags of disc caps, and a weather radio. We got a weather radio, you know, one of these NOAA weather alerts. Didn't have one before. I got it. I wasn't sure whether it was working, so I just left it on, left it on in standby mode in the in the living room. And my wife called me at work. She said that thing scared the hell out of me. I didn't even know you got it. It's, it all of a sudden, there's this voice in the living room talking about floods. <laughs> I guess I, I should have told her about yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else did I get. Um, oh, this is the best. This is the best part. Armand gave me a large collection of electric radio magazines. I love electric radio. I love electric radio almost as much as I love Sprat. They are great. And there's there's such a treasure trove of history in the electric radio magazines. I want to read to you guys. I'm going to read you a bit about a series of articles and I'm going to just take a poll. We're in overtime, but we're going to we're going to talk about this anyway because it's it's really interesting. In 1991, Jim Musgrove, K5BZH, wrote three articles for Electric Radio beginning in in issue 31, so it was 31, 32, and 33, entitled The First 50 Years of Sideband. Man, this was fascinating stuff, especially because we spend most, so much of our time working on sideband rigs. There's so much history in here that, that never, I don't think, ever made it into the technical writing so much of the technical writing that we have is so focused on the technical there's no kind of history there's no none of the culture none of the 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 social side of it and we recently talked about the award this uh you know sideband susie that i nominated you for um but uh a couple things that came up in this article why lsb why is lower sideband started on the on the lower bands and one of the things that he alludes to in here was that the early days of sideband in an effort to get away from the AMers, they went on lower sideband at the very top of the band, like at 3.9999. So all of their energy, to use that word, would be below. The AMers couldn't go on the same frequency because their upper sideband would be out of band. So it was part of an effort to escape from the troglodytic AM operators who were, you know, opposed to them at that point. And I thought that was kind of cool. And if you're Italian, you give them the ancient Italian wave. <laughs> <laughs> Come on up. The other thing was he talked about how in the early days, um, some guys were going with phasing rigs and other guys were going with filter rigs. And he actually says that there, there seemed to be kind of a regional bias in one direction or the other in the United States. With W2s, W6s, and W8s generally preferring phasing rigs, while W3s, W4s, and W0s were more into filter rigs. I thought that was really interesting. He also talks about how in the very early days of sideband, a lot of the AM guys really didn't know what these weird signals were they were puzzled it was like almost like aliens had arrived donald on the duck. band donald duck right sucks. but one of the things he said was that there was a number of guys who were on who were on sideband who would take the time to kind of tutor and mentor 
the AMers. And they, the way they would do it is they would, on the sideband rig, they would crank up the carrier so that suddenly the AM guy who was there with like an HQ100 or an HQ110 would be able to understand them. And the guy would say, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to show you how, with your receiver, you can listen to what we're saying. First, turn off the AGC. Second, crank down the RF gain. Third, put it in what you call CW mode, but leave the filter broad. And then just tune it until you hear my voice normally. So there were a lot of these kind of on-the-air, talk-you-through-it sessions, which I think, you know, must have won over a lot of people and created a lot of new converts to SS to to SSB. But I thought that was really interesting. But here there's there's something let me see, I gotta find this one page for you here. Okay, I'm gonna read you a couple paragraphs of this thing. <clears throat> a lot of folks were still home brewing exciters even into the early sixties. Some of this was done to keep expenses down. I really think that most home brewing was done due to the fact that a lot of hams of that era simply enjoyed building equipment as much or more than operating it. There's a different feeling about using a transmitter or receiver that is home constructed. Today's new newcomers probably have no idea as to the amount of home brewing that took place in the 50s and 60s. It was a widespread practice even among the novices. The novice license was created in 1951, and the majority of novice transmitters in the early 50s were homemade. Home brewing was well established within the sideband group. Sometimes two or three friends would decide to build the same unit. Joe Galeski, W4IMP. Arc yep, 5! Yeah, the, the Arc 5! And the M. Yeah, the M. Yeah. Listen to this. Joe Galeski, W4IMP, told me that he and two of his friends in Johannesburg, ZS6ATA and ZS6ARQ, built the sideband package simultaneously. Shout out to the guys in Joburg who are listening yeah. via the repeater. There you go. Look at that, a piece of sideband history. They held weekly schedules on the air to discuss, to discuss such things as parts placement and voltage measurement at particular nodes. So here's Galeski in the, in the 50s and 60s building with two hams in South Africa without the benefit of the Internet or email and they're, together, they're building a sideband, a transceiver. Um, most of the old-timers seem to feel a little sad that this practice has changed so drastically. A few are even bitter about it. One fellow commented that today's hams are such damn wimps that they couldn't even begin to unscrew the self-tapping screws on their rice boxes. Ooh, kind of harsh there, kind of harsh. But he's got a point. I'll read the, the final paragraph. Um Six Rexford, W2TBZ, said it best with, quote, early sidebanders were scroungers and dump pickers of the first order. No piece of surplus equipment or abandoned radio is safe. Every capacitor, choke, coil, tube, IF can, or crystal was pressed into service. It was a grand and glorious age, and I shed a bitter tear that it will never happen again. Spoke too soon, old man. Because it's happening now. Right, Pete? Right. Yeah. But really, really cool. And I thank Armin for giving me these articles. And I'm going to, over the next uh, few podcasts, find things to read about here. Man, amazing stuff. Kelvinator refrigerator rigs. The Kelvinator kilowatt. Did you know about that? No. 
many in, in this current batch that Armin gave me, I came across several times guys who talk about way back when they wanted to build kind of a rack-mounted AM rig. They didn't have a good rack. They found an old refrigerator, Pete, and they, they ripped out all the refrigerator junk, and they used the shelving on the case of the refrigerator as the rack mount. They put boards in there, and, you know, they built the, the power supply, the RF deck, the AF amplifier, the modulator, the PA, in a refrigerator. They called it the Kelvinator Kilowatt. Why and not? It was pretty common. Why not? Pretty common. Why not? Why not? <laughs> I saw there's an article in there about one guy got his start by building his rig out of the parts from a diathermy machine. Why not? Oh, man. But great history here. Great homebrew history. And I thank Armin for, uh, for, for giving that to, to us. Um, it's almost time to go to the mailbag. Uh, first of all, a couple of announcements, though. Um, you know, Tony Fishpool was on QSA t- QSO Today with yeah. Eric Gouf, 4 yeah. one ug cool. Last Saturday. You guys got to listen to this. I mean, it's, it's so cool listening to Eric's interview with, with Tony. So much QRP history, so much a GQRP club there. A lot of wisdom, a lot of good discussion of test gear and um, great stuff. Listen, listen to that interview. He started uh, out as a butcher. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> he, he, while he was going to school, he needed a job, so he was a butcher. <laughs> he learned <laughs> to be a butcher. Great, great story. I, I you know, I, I really was glad I got to got to meet Tony when I was oh, up in yeah. the UK last. All right, and then we mentioned there was all kinds of good hacks from Don ND sixteen on the BidX uh, hack site. The latest one was, um, you know, he, he did one on how to build a Stockton Bridge uh, power meter with forward and reflect power. That'd be useful for almost all QRP rigs, all, all rigs, all BidXs. And he even talked about how you could use it with a regular old analog meter, or you could use it into one of the analog pins of your beloved Arduino. Yes. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. All right. Are we ready for the mailbag, Pete? Yeah. But by the way, I I just wanted to comment uh, following up the electric radio. If you look up N4TRB on the uh, on the internet, he has a collection of the GE ham news and RCA RCA ham tips. And if you if you enjoyed that, there there's all the projects are are documented there back in the 50s and uh, early 60s. The guys were building homebrew stuff, you know, amplifiers, transmitters, some solid state stuff, uh, you know, just a download and really kind of cool. All right. Very good stuff. Very good stuff. All right. Um, mailbag. Uh, Bob, N7SUR, sent us a, a good email about him building crystal filters. Man, that's the he came up with the prettiest crystal filter curve I ever saw. It's almost like idealized, like this is what it's supposed to look like, but that's what he actually measured. Great stuff. And he did it, man. He was he was scrupulous. He was careful. He actually filed down the disk capacitors to get them to the exact precise value. And then he used a nail polish hardener on them. I, I laughed. I said, man, I remember I could just imagine you going into the CVS pharmacy <laughs> and asking for nail polish hardener. <laughs> Why do you need that, Mr. Bob? What uh, I thought what I thought was interesting is after he got it built and he ran it, he said, there's something wrong. <laughs> I mean, it can't look that good. It, it can't look that good. It was yeah. completely flat, yeah, you know, yeah. the skirts. Oh, man, nice stuff. Good Congratulations, Bob. Thanks for that. OM2ATC, uh, a Slovakian in France, uh, building a Digitia receiver. Great stuff. Thanks for sending that. We got an email from Ernesto, and he alerted us to a, a ham radio business run by an actual ham radio operator from China. Uh, it, the company is called CR Kits, and it's run by a ham um, 
BD6CR. And man, you know, I've always, I've said recently a lot that it's surprising that we see so little radio, ham radio activity out of China, given the enormous amount of electronics and, and, and scientific development and electronic marketing coming out of that country. But I was really pleased to see BD6CR. He's got a company that's on the web called uh, CR Kits. We have a link. And he's got a really cool little uh, SI5351 Arduino sandwich. Really small. Cool stuff. Um, Steve, N8NM, built a Hallicrafters Tribute Transceiver. Oh, nice. Good stuff, man. Yeah, Yeah, beautiful stuff. Uh, And then from the United Arab Emirates, DC in the UAE, direct conversion in the United Arab Emirates. Uh, Martin, A65DC, sent us a really nice write-up on a, on a direct conversion uh, receiver that he built there in the, in the Emirates. Very, very good. Uh, KC1FSZ sent us a beautiful picture, a nice article on his Peppermint Bark Bidex. You know, this is, uh, I told him, I said, this is in keeping with Farhan's original intent with the Bidex where he talked in the original article about how you could use any old cookie tin as a, as a box. So um, a peppermint uh, candy tin is, 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 is completely in keeping with that. And he, uh, he keep the original paint on it, too. It looks, it looks so good, the peppermint. You'll see pictures of it up there on the blog. Um, uh, WA8WDQ sent us info on his build of an Arduino CW decoder. You and I might need this after a while, Pete, because we're getting kind of rusty. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> uh, CW? CW? Yeah, you, you CW, remember that. CW. Beep, beep, it's a lot of beeps and stuff. Yeah, we're, we're in trouble. Uh, OZ1JHM was the designer of this thing, and uh, WAWDQ alerted us to it. Great stuff. A simple Arduino with a little display. You put in the right amount of code, and it's reading the CW for you. Very, very good stuff. Um, I got, uh, I, I spotted, um, well, actually I was alerted to this by Steven G7 VFY, our friend over in the UK. He alerted me to a video that Mike whiskey uniform Two Delta did on retro QRP. Fantastic video. Holy cow. I, I love this video. If you haven't seen it, take a look. We got a link of it on the blog. Um, AB1YK, he made a beautiful box for the BitX using CAD computer assisted design software. And we've got a picture of it that's in one of these animated GIFs, and you can see it kind of rotate through all the different angles. Beautiful stuff. Great work there from AB1YK. Our, our old friend Roger, PA1ZZ, he's got a U.S. call, but I always think of him from the Netherlands call. He sent us a, this morning a, a picture of a QSL card from, from a, of a cartoon about QSL cards from World War II. I'm going to put that up on the blog. Very good stuff. Um, Steve, our old friend N8NM, was disturbed by all the talk of my apparent digitization in the last podcast. He thought that I was going all digital on him. He found it almost disorienting. He said, like he said that he felt like he was climbing up a staircase in an Escher drawing. If you know what we're talking yeah. about? That can be quite disorienting. Never fear, Steve. I am returning to the analog HDR discrete component uh, mode. Um, this is nothing to be concerned about. Uh, we got an email from somebody we haven't heard from in a while. I was getting kind of worried about Grayson, uh, KJ7UM, uh, who used to be our, our, our correspondent in Ankara, Turkey, the man who works on R, uh, R390s and the author of Hollow State Design for the Radio Amateur. 
He's back in the USA. He reports all is well. He's spending a lot of time building a workbench. Yeah, if you're a home brewer, Gotta you might as well go, go the full Monty and home brew your workbench. So he's building a, a workbench for the new house, custom designed for his needs. I looked at it. It's a thing of beauty. He's already got a tube or a thermotron sitting on it. Great, great going. Does it, does it have a lift in the overhead so he can lift up the R390s? Uh, you know, that's the first thing I thought about. I was talking to somebody else about R390s. I think you got to get the crane in there, Grayson. Grayson's going to have a crane because he has a tough time flipping over those R390s, yeah, yeah. man. All right. Uh, Steve, AF5YM, uh, he, he sent me a real nice note. He, he read my, my book, um, uh, The Solder Smoke uh, Wireless Adventures in Radio Electronics. really liked it. And like many people, he said, look, your story's like my story. We're all, we've all gone through the same things. He talked about how he grew up in a small town in, in West Texas where uh, things were, it was so primitive that they had, they didn't have any electric, uh, any, um, you know, street lights or anything like that, you know. And so finally they put up, put up one and the locals took to calling it the electric stop sign ah, there you go <laughs> and and there was much discussion about whether it was a waste of electricity and money <laughs> but in spite of that he was able to, to find the resources needed to get into ham radio in a, in a very homebrew way heard from michael rainey aa1tj homebrew hero we haven't heard from michael a while he's involved in other projects they are involved they are connected to radio and we may see the results soon but I, I sent to him an article that appeared on Hackaday about a, a Russian uh, radio pioneer called Oleg Losev, who was one of the early developers of semiconductors and developed uh, the, the concept of negative resistance. A real tragedy. I mean, he did this all during the early days of World War II and died um, of, of starvation, I think, in the siege. It might have been the siege of Leningrad wow. or, or Stalingrad. Uh, but uh, but but an interesting story, and I told Michael about that. Uh, Dean AC9JQ, our friend, is working on a Digitia. Great to hear that. Um, oh yeah, Bob AB1YK was the one who talked to us about the phrase "Bob's your uncle." We did some research on that, and we've already used some of the variants. You know, uh, I, I one of the variants is uh, the response is, "And Fanny is your aunt." It's not really from Cockney rhyming slang. It just sort of popped up in the yeah. UK. And it means like you're done. There you are. Voila, eccolo, you know. But, benito, um, benito, benito. Benito, yeah. <laughs> the Italians would say eccolo. eccolo. Um, all right, we've got a nice donation from uh, from David W6KL. Uh, Thanks for that. We'll we'll put that to good use. Uh, Bob KD4EBM was at the Winterfest, but we missed him. We always run into him at the Winterfest. But he said it, it occurred to him uh, a term that we should use and add to the lexicon: spontaneous construction. Yes. Sort of like spontaneous combustion. Yes. I told him, yeah, it's, it's a good term, but I, I, I got that one. I, I wrote an, an, an electric radio article in November 1998 in which I described a process by which a, a, a receiver, a tube-type receiver using six U8s came about in my shack through a, a process very, very similar to spontaneous combustion. <coughs> um, Steve, w, uh, Steve uh, VK2SJA, this is our last uh, note here today wrote in and said uh, he he was responding, Pete, to the criticism that was leveled at, so I, at us about our, our uh, about the content of the show and the lack of technical content. But he said he sent us a very nice note uh, refuting these uh, these uh, uh, aspersions that have been cast on us. And he said that uh, the Solder Smoke podcast is, quote, a wireless haven 
It's like a mate's radio shack where you stop by for a coffee amongst friends who have shared interests. Thank you very much, Steve. Very kind of you to say that. Let's see what else. I, I, think we're, I, I had one one input. And, oh, and, please. And that's from our friend Michele. Oh yeah. He's building a big kahuna. <laughs> he's got yeah. he's got a couple of YouTube videos already. As a matter of fact, if you go to my website, uh, www.n6qw.com, you click on the big kahuna, it tells you how to build one. And it's got all the schematics and everything. Well, he built one, and he's he's got it working. So, oh, well, he's got the display working. He's got all the boards built, and he's just about to hook things together. So, uh, I, I got to be careful what I do because yeah, <laughs> it, whatever. Yeah, Kelly's building one. You know, some guy in Croatia is going to be going to be doing it. Yeah. yeah. All right, he, Pete. I think we're we're approaching double double overtime. But uh, a couple things to note before we wrap up here. First, remind people. Come on, seriously, send us some emails, and we'll we'll pass them on to the powers that be. Well, uh, I'm okay. I'm okay with that. You know, no, I'm no, okay. I'm no, okay I, with that. No, you know? I think we should. I think we should take a shot at. It. I think we should try to turn no. this around before it's too late. Send your emails about why Pete should not be expelled from the QRP Hall of Fame. Send it to soldersmoke at yahoo.com, and I'll get them. Soldersmoke one word at yahoo.com, and I'll get them to the to the appropriate people. Second thing I want to point out is. Uh, I mentioned the guys in South Africa who are putting the podcast out on the local repeater. We're really pleased with that. We want more people to do it. That's why we're not putting music at the beginning or the end. And that's why we're not doing the shameless commerce till the very end, to make it easier to just, you know, edit it a little bit. And then you could play it on the local repeater without violating any laws. But let me ask you this. If anybody is anybody gets solder smoke via kind of an unusual means or via RF or over a, a repeater or a local radio station or an intercom system, sometimes at retirement communities we've been told that they do play it kind of on the local uh, cable network or anything like that. If you hear it in any of those unusual ways, let me know. Uh, send an email to, to Pete and to me, and we'll, we'll be really interested in that. Also, if any of you run repeaters and you're looking for content to put out there, feel free to put the podcast out there. You have our permission. Just let us know about it because I think it would be kind of fun to know that somebody is, you know, driving to work in uh, in Kuala Lumpur listening on the two-meter repeater. And it's nice when you get an email said, I was listening to you, and you say, where? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. I know. I, I You know, it's it, it, great stuff. So, um you know, one of our first listeners was Brad in Tulsa, Oklahoma. When Mike and I started this more than 10 years ago, we were amazed. We got this email from this guy named Brad in Tulsa, and he told us that he was he would listen to it while jogging at lunchtime through Tulsa, Oklahoma. And that was just mind-blowing for yeah, us. Yeah. So we, we like to get those stories. And, and please let us know. Shout out to the guys in South Africa listening on the repeater. I guess that brings us to, to shameless commerce. The only thing we ask is that you do all your Amazon purchases via uh, the, the link in the upper right-hand corner on the soldersmoke.blogspot.com uh, page. Just plug your um, your purchase, your heart's desire into that little box, and the rest is done automatically. Bezos sends us the money. It doesn't cost you anything. Cha-ching. Bob's your uncle. He's number, you he's number two billionaire now. The number one and number two billionaires in the world live in Seattle. One is Gates, and number two just came out is Bezos. He can afford well, it. He could afford. He might have been number one if it wasn't for all this money we're taking. Yeah, yeah, could be, could be, <laughs> could be. 
But but don't you hey. find that interesting that number one and number two are from two guys from Seattle? <laughs> yeah. You know when I when I, listen to this when I when I burn up the SI fifty three fifty one the other day I placed the order on Amazon at like six o'clock in the morning before I went to work, and in in the SI fifty three fifty one was in my mailbox when I got home from work the same you day. You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> no, same day. Same day. Same day. Same day delivery on an SI-5351. Now, you can't get that everywhere. Northern Virginia has the same day delivery system. And I, and I, I when I looked at the mailbox, I kind of looked up for the drone or yeah. I checked the backyard for the parachute. I mean, how did they do that? Yeah. Well, you're lucky. <laughs> I want some drone deliveries you're, here. I think that'll be cool. You're lucky because if you go to Lady Ada Direct, it, out here to the West Coast takes you six days. Man. It was pretty cool. Yeah. I thought it was great. Wow. Yeah. No wonder you don't mind burning them up. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Pete, this is a great one. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of fun. And it had technical, feel, content, technical content. High technical content. Don't feel bad. I'm we'll not. get this squared away. He's putting on a brave face, but I know this I'm, is something that bothers I'm not. him. So I, I've got it in the box ready to go back with with a few choice words. That's yeah, okay. No, That's no, okay. No. No. I think we're, we're going to avoid that. Please. Send in the emails. Help us straighten this thing out. It's amazing. I mean, ham radio operators, sometimes they get they get all wrapped up around the axle about something and crazy stuff happens. We will get this sorted. Sorted, a good British you word. You bet. You bet. All right, guys. Pete and all of our listeners, 7-3 from Northern Virginia. 7-3 from the left coast. Ciao. 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 Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!